Welcome to Atmosphere Church. My name is Jim Cruz and I'm the lead pastor. We're a new non-denominational life-giving church located in the Conejo Valley, just west of Los Angeles. Let me just say on behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this service. We pray that it'll touch your heart and change your life. In addition to bringing you today's service, we wanna make ourselves available to you in any way we can. Please leave a comment if you need prayer or if you wanna speak with one of our leaders in any struggle that you may be facing right now, we will be sure to respond to anything you need in your life. Here at Atmosphere, we believe that we should never forsake the gathering together with other believers. Don't use this recorded service as your church experience. Get involved in the local church to the extent that the people there know you by name. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be a part of our community. For more information about our church, go to our official webpage at atmosphere.church. Finally, there's a lot of man hours that are put behind making services and resources like this available that are meant to help you grow and develop as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you and really for others who are also desiring to grow in their faith. To make a financial donation, simply click on the link on our site that says donate and your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Remember, when you give to Atmosphere Church, you're actually giving through Atmosphere to change lives in our church in our city and literally around the world. We've already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. Enjoy the service. I want to talk about the Christmas story the next couple of weeks and we want to break this down because there's a reason the Christmas story is the way it is and there's a reason why it unfolded the way it unfolded because God has a purpose in it. And it had to be done the way that it was done. And even though it may seem bizarre, even though it may seem strange to us, in God's eyes, it makes perfect sense. And so I'm going to pray, and we're going to get into a lot of different scriptures. Now, today's message is going to have a lot of scriptures. Uh, It's going to be more... theological-based than than application-based. And if you have been coming to Atmosphere for a while, you're kind of getting to know our teaching style a little bit. And and so today we're going to give you a lot of scriptures. So if you're taking notes, I encourage you to do that. Write down the verses so you can uh, reference them later on. But let me pray this. Father, I thank you in advance for how you're going to use this message today and how you're going to use this series over the next few weeks to really deposit some needed things in our souls. God, I know that in this room represented today, Lord, there's issues, there's circumstances that frankly, God, people are feeling like they don't know if they're gonna get out of this situation. So Lord, I pray that you would show up today, that you would speak life to every single soul that came in here today. I pray when we leave this place, we will know we had a divine encounter with you. And we thank you in advance for how you're going to accomplish that. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Now, I want to take you to a bunch of different passages, but I I think if the video is going to work uh, and cooperate with us, they can follow along with us. But I I want to start off with the passage in the book of Matthew. Now, it's interesting that Matthew and Luke are the only gospels that talk about 
the birth of Jesus. Mark and John are quiet about it. But the book of Matthew is interesting in the sense that it starts off by giving us the genealogy of how Jesus ended up coming to the earth. Now, what's significant about this is that the gospel of Matthew is being written with the intent to show us that Jesus is Messiah King. That was the whole intention of it. And so the gospel of Matthew is connecting the dots to show us that Jesus is Messiah by showing us that Jesus is connected to King David because prophetically the Messiah was going to come from the lineage of David. And so the gospel of Matthew just goes down the list and connects the dots and says, Jesus is Messiah. Look at his lineage here. And we're going to get into his lineage a little bit more next week because there were some colorful characters in the lineage of Jesus. Now, if I'm doing the the pedigree for the Savior of the world, there are people in that list that I am leaving out. And we'll get more into that next week. But in chapter 2, we hear about these wise men from the east that are coming, and they are going to pay homage to the Savior of the world, the king, as they call him, the king of the Jews. Now, that's really big to read. I feel like it's the, uh, I'm in the front row. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. There were more than three, by the way, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, as they were making their way there, they stopped and talked to the real king of the Jews, Herod. And Herod was a little jealous, and he didn't want anybody else cramping his king style there. So he was like, hey, why don't you tell me where he's at, or come and tell me when you find him so I can go and pay my respect to the new king. And he was really trying to do that because he wanted to kill this baby that was possibly going to take his throne from him. Now, what does this have to do with the stranger king idea? Well, the way God presented Jesus as king was so different. And it was so in a way that the Bible scholars during that time, that the, the, the Jews that followed the law and studied all of these signs and wonders, it had them all blinded. They didn't see this coming. But yet, as you read in the Bible, it was right, you know, right in front of them. But have you ever watched a movie and you didn't know how the plot was going to unfold? And then you were like, at the end of the movie, you're like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. But after you saw it, you're like, yeah, of course I saw that coming, right? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense now. That was kind of the way the Bible story, the Bible narrative, the, the way the Christmas story unfolded. It's like, wow, that doesn't make any sense. But yet afterwards, you're like, okay, wait, it does make sense. Here, this king was being introduced. Now, the gospel of John, whereas the gospel of Matthew was written so that Jesus could be shown as Messiah King, the gospel of John writes it so that Jesus could be shown as God. And in John chapter one, there's some great passages specifically talking about this. And uh, and let, let's go to um, uh, John chapter one there. It says, 
He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Now, it makes sense to read this when you think about how this whole book started in John chapter 1 verse 1. It says, in the beginning, the word already existed and the word was with God and the word was God. The word was Jesus. And now John, the gospel of John is presenting Jesus as God in the flesh coming to this world with a mission. So as you know, the gospel of Matthew is kind of showing Jesus as this uh, amazing, you know, guy that was going to take over and, and, and be the king of the Jews. John is saying, no, he is God in the flesh. And this is so significant for us to understand why he had to come in the flesh. Hebrews chapter 2, I'll read this because this kind of connects the dots together. It says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood, for only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We also know that the son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham, which we all are. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. And what the book of Hebrews is saying is that Jesus had to come in the flesh because it was in the flesh that we sinned and we broke our fellowship with God. See, in the very beginning of the Bible, it talks about this beginning of creation where there was this man named Adam and his wife named Eve. And it says they had this relationship with God that was so beautiful that he walked with him in the cool of the day. That at any given point, if Adam and Eve needed anything, I mean, God was right there with them. He had this perfect relationship with them. There was nothing separating them from their creator. But it says that Eve and Adam made some decisions that broke that relationship. And it separated them. And they broke it in their flesh. They made a, a, a decree that, hey, you know, we're going to listen to what we want to do over what God has told us to do. And in their flesh, they made a decision to start living in an opposite direction of how God wanted them to live. And it separated them from that perfect relationship with God. So what's interesting is God unveils his plan of rescue even back in the beginning of our Bibles. In Genesis chapter 3, God unfolds the rescue plan, the rescue mission. It's right there at the very beginning. And see, the people of Israel knew that the rescue would eventually happen, but they didn't know when. So all these prophets, all these guys that lived through history would, would talk about the Messiah coming. And the Messiah would come and he would take up this, this reign and, and, and he would vanquish Israel and, and he would get rid of the Roman occupation. And they were looking for this hero. 
this Messiah that would make all things right again because they knew intuitively that all things were wrong. And so they were going to see this Messiah fix it. So they were, they were waiting for this moment, but they weren't waiting for a baby to come on scene and to be that hero. They were ready probably for God to kind of split the heavens and show up and say, hey, I'm taking up my throne and I'm going to take care of everybody that has ever come against me and I'm going to make all things right again. And this is what's interesting is that the prophetic words, and I'm going to go out of order, Tim, I hope that doesn't mess you up, but the prophetic words that were given to the old prophets, there was one, a prophet named Zechariah. And this is what he prophesied. He said, rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Now, if you're royalty, you're not riding on a donkey. You're riding on this white stallion, right? And you've got like a gold saddle. And, you know, you've got all of these people riding with you in the parade route. But here Zechariah is like, no, the Messiah is going to come on scene and, and he, it's going to be different. He's going to be riding on a donkey. I don't know why when I say donkey, I say donkey. I've watched Shrek too many times. <laughs> Did you catch that? Donkey. So, so here's... Here's the crazy thing. We read in the Gospels that Jesus did come in the triumphal entry into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And when he rides into the city, he starts weeping. And he starts weeping because he says, oh, Jerusalem, if you had just known about this day. In other words, this was prophesied. You should have seen this day coming. But because they had their own preconceived ideas on how God was going to come up and rescue them, they missed him rescuing them. Zechariah. Then Isaiah, another prophet of God, he prophesies this word. He says, all right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So here, Isaiah, again, is giving us this picture of how God was going to rescue the world. It was going to be through this girl, this virgin girl, and she would bear the Savior of the world. Now, as we think about this, I want to connect the dots by taking you to one more passage, so bear with me. Write this down. John chapter 18. In John chapter 18, Jesus is about ready to be crucified. His life is about over, and he sits there before Pontius Pilate, and Pontius Pilate was the one that had the authority within the Roman government to be able to take care of Jesus and be able to release him or be able to punish him. And so they're having this conversation. And Pontius Pilate deals with Jesus by saying, hey, I hear you're the king of the Jews. So he has this conversation and Jesus answered, 
my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? And Jesus answered, you say rightly that I'm a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Jesus says, I'm a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. It's a different kingdom. It's the heavenly kingdom. And the heavenly plan, the the plan from the kingdom of heaven was to rescue the earth in a bizarre way where most scholars and most lawgivers of the Jewish culture completely missed it. And he said, this rescue plan is going to come and it's going to set people free once and for all and return them to that place of relationship that God has always wanted from day one. So I want to give you guys real quickly this morning, I want to give you the reasons why Jesus came to this earth. And this isn't... uh, I guess a, um, a list, a full list of the reasons why, but I, I think this will give us a, a good way to, to, to really move forward with this Christmas story to understand the whole meaning and the purpose of the rescue mission. Number one, that is, you want to put that up there? Why did Jesus come to the earth? I don't know if you have that first one up there. Well, I'll tell you. It's, uh, he came to reflect, or he, he came to reveal God demand. Thank you. He came to reveal God demand. See, they had ideas of what God was like. You know, from the law, from the prophets, they had ideas of what God was like, but their ideas were kind of cloudy at best. They took a lot of times the beliefs of other religions in the area, and they kind of created these ideas of what God was like, but they didn't have the perfect picture image of what God was like. So when Jesus came on scene, he had a mission to not only save the world, but he had a mission to show people once and for all the character of God. And Jesus was going to be that character put on display. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. I like how the Apostle Paul writes it in Colossians chapter 1. He says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. See, we all have an upbringing, and it may or may not include going to church. It may not include a belief in God. But most of us in this room grew up with some kind of a belief about God. And as I've talked to people, and as I even look back at my own childhood, the ideas that I had about God didn't look necessarily like Jesus. A lot of times when I pictured God, I pictured this being that anytime I'd mess up, he was ready to strike me with a lightning bolt. He was ready to just get rid of me. And I don't know how I got that, maybe because of some ideas that I had in, in uh, my religious upbringing. I don't know if maybe my, my own self-condemnation, but it was there. But as you start unpacking the life of Jesus, you get an idea that God is anything but 
a God that is looking to strike you down the moment that you make a mistake in your life. Matter of fact, the message that Jesus gives us about God is the exact opposite. He's the God that loves you in spite of your failures. He's the God that loves you in spite of the ways that you have faults in your life. That is the Jesus, or that, that rather is the God that Jesus puts on display with his life. Now, the second thing that Jesus coming to this earth tells us is that he came to reflect God's prototype, God's example of what the human experience is supposed to be like. So the way Jesus lived is the way we're supposed to live. And say, I don't know if I have it in me to live like that. I mean, you know, he died on the cross. He suffered. I don't, I don't know if I could do that. But it's not just in the suffering that Jesus or that God wants us to really see what humanity is all about. It's the love that Jesus had on him, the way he loved people, the way he connected with people, the way he would find the marginalized, the, the, the ones that were kind of pushed away from society. And Jesus seemed to be attracted to those people, and he seemed to want to be in their space, and he, and he seemed to, to be loving and caring for these people where the religious people of Jesus' time wanted nothing to do with them. And there's something about the love of Jesus in his earthly ministry that is attractive to anybody, even in our day and age. They may not like the church, but if you start talking to people and say, what do you think of Jesus? Most people, even that can't stand the church, will say Jesus was a good dude. I can, I can deal with Jesus. It's this church that I don't like. And I've been to some churches and I get what they're saying. Because the church has, for the most part, damaged the reputation of Jesus because they haven't been living like Jesus. We want to be a church that not only preaches Jesus, we want to be a church that takes the life of Jesus and we want to try to live it out as best we can to put that Jesus on display to the world. Why? Because Jesus is God's prototype for how to be a human well. And I don't know if you look at your own soul, if you can see maybe room in your own soul to, to maybe have a little upgrade with how you're being a human being. I know I'm a pastor and I see plenty of room. So if I'm the pastor, certainly you could see room in your own soul to say, you know what? There's room for me to be a better human than I'm being. And Jesus is that goal. And when he came to this earth and he came as this humble baby and he was raised with a family and, and went through all of the testing and temptation that all of us go through and the devil had no hold on him. In other words, he was able to be victorious over everything he was put through. He was able to undo everything that was undone at that moment in the garden with Adam and Eve when they decided that they were going to live their way according to them instead of God's way. So Jesus came back and he lived out this life that Adam and Eve were never able to live out so that he could pave the way for us to be able to live that same kind of life in God. The third point that we want to talk about is that he came to return our rulership. See, something terrible was lost at the garden at the very beginning when mankind decided, hey, 
we're gonna live our life according to us and we don't care what God wants, but this is what we think we should do. And what happened there is not only was our relationship with God severed, but something happened to the world itself. Stuff started kind of breaking down. Stuff started going sideways. We see in the second generation of mankind after the fall of man, we see murder. We see disease. We see death. We see all of this ugliness that we continue to perpetually see in our culture today. And it all had a beginning. And it had to do with the fact that when God created man, he said, hey, you're my creation and I'm gonna give you dominion over the earth. In other words, God says, hey, I'm creating this planet, but I'm signing the lease over to you guys. You guys are gonna run it for me. What a great responsibility that was. So the earth was created in God's sovereignty, but in his sovereignty, he says, I'm gonna give the management over this place to you guys. Make sure that you take care of it well. And what we did is we did sometimes what maybe we've done in, in our maybe properties that we own. We lease a property and there's called subleasing. Have you ever heard of it? So what we did is we subleased the earth to the devil. And I know when I say the devil, some of you, there's a little pushback because it just sounds so mythical. But let me tell you something. There's a devil and he's very real. And he's wreaking havoc in all kinds of people's lives. The darkness that hit our city last month, that was darkness that this city has never seen before, but I'm telling you what, that darkness was motivated by evil itself. The devil is real. And what happened in that garden that day is we subleased the earth to the devil because we decided to listen to him over God. And when that happened, everything started coming undone. Even the weather itself started coming undone. We lost our rulership. And now instead of ruling in life the way we were supposed to rule in life, now we have been caught up in all kinds of bondage. I don't know how many of you have dealt with addiction in your life. I don't know how many of you have a family member that is dealing with addiction in their life, but bondage is a real thing. And even though you can have all the, the desire inside of you to be free of these bondages, sometimes even in the, the most uh, tremendous desire in your soul to be set free, it's like you can't get free. That's what we're talking about. That bondage. That God has set us up to be rulers in life, but that was taken from us, that was snatched away from us from the very beginning. And ever since then, we've been trying to find our way back to rulership, not so that we can have people underneath us, so that we can start ruling our own hearts and be set free once and for all from anything that is trying to bind us up and try to hold us hostage. Has there ever been something that came in your life that you felt was holding you hostage? You couldn't seem to break free from? God sent Jesus to this earth so that we can rule in life once again. Let me give you the scripture in, in Romans. I'm looking at time here. In Romans chapter 5, verse 17, it says, All who receive God's abundant grace and are freely put right with him will, will rule in life through Christ. 
All who receive God's abundant grace and are freely put right with him will rule in life through Christ. So what happened is in Jesus coming to this earth, I got to remember to walk back here because you guys can't see me back in the back, is we were restored to our rulership once again because we were put right with God. Not because we have this power inside of ourselves by ourselves. We have this power in ourselves by Christ Jesus living inside of us. Because when Jesus lived on earth before he ascended into heaven, this is what he said in the gospel of Matthew. He said, uh, Jesus came up and spoke to them and saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In other words, the authority that was lost in the garden that day has now been returned by the authority that God has placed in me. The fact that in my flesh, I resisted all the points that Adam and Eve were not being able to resist. I put things back in order again that through me, you can have that same authority now that was missing back then and everything can be put back into the position that God always wanted it to be in and you can rule your heart once again and not have to live your life in bondage, not have to live your life being held hostage by things that come into your life. You, my friend, are designed by God to rule in life, but you can't do it on your own. You need the authority of Jesus Christ living inside of you because it's only through his authority can you be properly set free from those things that want to bind you up and hold you hostage. Does that make sense? Don't encourage me, man. I'm like, that's some... That's some good stuff. But here's, here's what I want you to understand, that there was a crossing over that, that God left his abode in heaven and he came to this earth in the flesh because it was only in the flesh that he could restore and return things to the way they used to be when Adam and Eve walked in the garden of the cool of the day. But he crossed over so that you could cross over. He crossed over from heaven to earth so that you can cross over and let heaven start filling your soul up and start changing your life so that you can go from death to life, so that you can go from bondage to freedom, so that you can experience light instead of darkness. There is a crossing over that Christmas really wants to resonate with you. And I don't know how many of you crossed over. I, don't, I, I, I know we're not perfect. And Jesus died for us because we're not perfect. But when he comes into your soul, things change. And you go from bondage and being held hostage to being set free and to living victoriously. I want to pray, and we're going to worship the strange, bizarre story, but it's a story that we need to understand has significance, not just for history, but for our lives personally. I came to this place as a freshman in high school, and I didn't even understand it. I didn't fully grasp what it meant to have Christ living inside of me until I was a freshman in college. But when I made that decision as a freshman in high school, I didn't realize it as a 14-year-old, but the authority that Christ 
came to this world and died to be able to give me, started taking root and started changing me. And then when I came to that place as a freshman in college and I said, God, I want to fully surrender to you. And I don't know what that looks like, but I want to get everything out of the way so that I can just focus on you and focus on what you desire to do with my life. That's when I fully embraced being a ruler in life. For the first time in my life, I I understood and I began walking in this freedom that Christ came to this earth as a baby to begin giving it to me. It's a crazy story, but there's a reason it unfolded the way it did. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, that you did cross over from heaven to earth. And maybe some of us, we try to logically get it into a position that it makes sense. But just like in Japan, going to KFC doesn't make sense to us. God, we got to trust you. That by coming to this earth, you disarm the principalities that have been waging war on people's souls from the very beginning of time. And by disarming those principalities and receiving the power and the authority of Christ living in us, you set us up to rule in life, to not walk in bondage, to not walk being held hostage, to be able to walk in the freedom of our souls, to be able to walk in the joy and the peace and the love that we dream about, that we think about, but God, you make it a reality. And while everyone's praying here this morning, maybe you're thinking to yourself, man, I I haven't experienced this kind of freedom. I haven't experienced this kind of relationship with God. You know, there's nothing special about me other than I made a decision. I made a decision to receive what God freely gave me in a relationship with Christ. That not only did he die for me, that he resurrected for me. Because dying for me gets me to heaven, but resurrecting gets heaven into me. And as much as I'm excited about going to heaven when I die, it feels really good to have heaven in me while I live. Some of you have never tasted what it feels like to live with heaven living in your soul. And Jesus made it available to anybody that wants it, to anybody that desires to receive it. And if you want to receive that, as we just worship, I just want you to just be praying, just seeking God and ask him to just continue to reveal himself to you. And I'll be back up as we worship this uh, worship with a song and, and just close with a word of prayer for any of you that may be in that position that you want to make that decision to cross over with your own soul this morning. Would you stand and let's just worship with the song. 
Hey, thank you for tuning in today to another message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on YouTube, iTunes Podcast, Facebook, Twitter, and even on Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms and click either the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. And until next time, we pray you'll keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love. God bless you.